I'm recording this on the night of Monday, July 25th. And tomorrow, my wife, Catherine Perlman's second book, First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette, comes out and is available wherever books are sold. So, dear listener of this free podcast, I ask a favor of you. If you are friends with kids approaching first phone age, or friends with kids with cell phones, please tell them about First Phone. It is a great book, an amazing resource, written by the best person I know. Thank you. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers, Sling and Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's guest is Eric Dickerson, the NFL Hall of Fame running back and author of the new autobiography, Watch My Smoke. This is episode number 270. Let's sing some yang. Dad, your podcast sucks, and you smell like vinegar and cottage cheese. All right, Eric, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. I feel like the best compliment you can give a sports book is the least interesting part is the sports. A guy talking about that game against the Jets, if that's the most interesting part of a sports book, the sports book is a problem. What's the motivation to do a book if you're you at this point? People have talked to me about doing a book for years, and... Um, I don't know. We just found the right writer with Greg Hanlon or the right time. And, you know, when I started talking about some of my stories and some of that, you know, he just thought it would be a great book. You know, all the guys that I know, like, you know, you got to write a book, man. I'm like, I have one of these days. I just finished up. I was writing a, a biography of Bo Jackson. And I don't know if you remember this, but when he in 1985, when he was in the running for the Heisman Trophy, uh, Sports Illustrated ran a cover. And it was the thinking fans vote for the Heisman. And it was three pictures. It was Bo Jackson, who was by far the best college football player in America. It was Chuck Long from Iowa. And then it was Joe Dudek, a running back from Plymouth State. And I remember when this article, when this article came out as a kid, Joe Dudek was like the scrappy white kid. He was like five foot 10, division three running back. And Sports Illustrated said Joe Dudek should win the Heisman over Bo Jackson. And when I was working on this book, I kept thinking how... Um, the role of race in the media when you were playing, like you touch on it really well. Reporters were unforgiving of African-American athletes. The words we would use, the code words, lazy, indifferent, malcontent, on and on and on. And I, I was wondering when I was reading your book, like, were you aware of it fully as it was going on? Or did you think about it more when you retired? No, I was aware of it when I was, it was going on. I mean, most definitely, I think any black athlete that's played sports knows that, just like my mother said, and, and son, it's different for you. you you're black. And, you know, when, when, you, when you're young, you don't, you don't realize that because you don't, you don't believe it. You don't want to believe it. At least I didn't want to believe it. But it's true. I mean, it's a true statement. It's different for us. I mean, we have my mother say, you got to be three times better, four times better than the white kids. And sometimes that's not even enough. And that and that's such a true statement. I mean, you might people might want to say, "Oh, it's no difference." And I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's BS. I mean, it is a difference. I mean, it, and if, you know, I have no problem with it, but just admit it. <laughs> that's my thing. Just call it like you see it. I mean, I, I call. I mean, for me, I call things like I see it. I don't. I don't pull any punches. I'm, I'm honest with me about my stuff that I've done in my life, and and and, and anyone else. I mean, I always say, if you don't want the truth, don't ask me because I'm I'm not the guy to ask. Now, you wrote a lot about being recruited, and I'm always, there's a really great book called The, the Courting of Marcus Dupree. You know, at the University of Oklahoma literally had Lucius Selman live in a, in a hotel 
in Philadelphia, Mississippi for two months to recruit Marcus Dupree and the lengths that schools were going to to get in a lot of cases, young, poor African-American athletes to sort of trust you and come. And you wrote a lot about that as you were being recruited, even though your mom seemed aware of it. Were you aware of the weirdness of it all? Of course I was, because, you know, I mean, living in a, a small town, a small town in Texas. I mean, look, I was around a lot of a lot of white people. I mean, my town was mostly white, but, you know, you know, I mean, look, they're not going to come to, to, to your house unless they, they want something. That's how you talk. I mean, you know, what are they coming to your house for? They're they not going to come visit you. You're black. So for sure, I was very much aware of it. Not probably as much as my mother was because she had seen things a lot different. I mean, like I said, my mom was born in 1904. You know, I was adopted. She was born in 19. She said, Eric, she said, I'm, I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I saw. I, I saw these things. And, you know, after a while, you know, you don't become callous to it. But, you know, you start seeing stuff like, like she sees it. You know, the world like she sees it. I mean, and the world isn't fair. And, you know, but, it, but yeah, of course I was aware of it. I mean, just like the guy that came to recruit me from A&M and, and we, we call, he called, come to my house at like, I don't know, like one in the morning. We sit out there on the, on the porch and he asked me, you know, man, I, I mean, I, I'm going to lose my job if I don't get you. You know, what are you thinking? And I said, I'm thinking about going to sleep. I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm sitting on the porch at, at one o'clock in the morning talking to, talking to a white guy about, you know, coming to college, coming, coming to, to, to Texas A&M. I mean, that's, that's not normal. I mean, that's just not, that's not normal. Not even to not even today. That's today's world. That's not normal. The number of circumstances you went through from the time you were a kid. How do you ever trust a white person in power when repeatedly from members of the media to owners to coaches, there is a, a desire to use you and spit you out? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you, you can't live your life like that, you know, and, and not trusting people. You have to. I mean, my mother said that to me, too, since you said it. She said, she said, you got one problem, son, that loyalty. You're too loyal. She said, you'll find out that people are not as loyal as you. And I have found out the hard way. Not, not even white all people. It's, it's black and white. So it ain't about the color of the person. It's just about the, the, the man. And, you know, you know sometimes you, you, get a, you get a feeling. As you get older, you get, you get a gut feeling about someone. As a kid, as younger, you know, you didn't know. But you still have a feeling about that person if they're telling you the truth. And, you know, of course, that was a lot of deception. Um, but, you know, for me, man, I, I, I've never, I've never judged a person uh, on the color of their skin. That's just not me. I mean, I, I still don't get it where a person thinks that they're better than you just because you're white or you're black or you, you're brown or you whatever. I mean, I just don't, I just, I've never accepted that. I, I just, I never will. You know, I mainly have writers and journalists on this podcast. One of the recurring themes is there's just not enough diversity in sports media and therefore minority players sort of aren't represented well and their, their, their plights aren't really explained well and their lives aren't explained well. Is that a pretty fair criticism? Most definitely, 100%. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You know, anytime, anytime a black guy, man, speaks up, you know, just like my book, when I say something, I have somebody say, I sound angry. I'm, I'm angry. I say, I'm angry because I'm telling the truth. I'm not angry. I mean, it's the truth. I mean, right. you know, if I if I was angry, I would, I would just say it. I'm I'd say I'm mad as a motherfucker. I'm pissed off about these motherfuckers. But it's not about the anger. It's the truth. And and you know, a lot of people don't want to hear the truth. The truth. My dad had to say the truth is not always popular, son. But it is the truth. And that it is that's it. I mean, for us, we we most of the times we're never depicted right unless you unless you're Uncle Tom, 
you know, uh, I would call, I call him Uncle Remus. You know, you, 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 you the white man's bitch. I mean, that, that's really what it is. I mean, you got, you got some guys just like that. I mean, but, but, you know, they've, they've, they've embedded themselves in there. And it's like, oh, he, you know, they don't look at him as being black. They look at him as being, that's, that's old Tom now. That's old Joe. You know, Joe's, he's a good one. He's one of the, he's one of the good ones because he gets it. But hey, man, you know, it's not about that. It's about, you know, being treated fairly. I mean, that's what, it, I mean, I, I, I give you an example. To me, an example was uh, the Heisman. Let's use the Heisman Trophy. Okay. I won't forget, I mean, you know, I think it was when I was in college, you know, it was Herschel Walker's freshman year. To me, Herschel Walker was the best player in the country his freshman year. My opinion, he really was. I thought, I thought he should have won the Heisman. But they came and said, out of, you know, he's got plenty of time to win a Heisman. You know, he's a freshman. But if he was a white kid, if he was a white kid doing what he did, no doubt he'd have won the Heisman. I mean, it would have been hands down. Just like Johnny Manziel won it. And Johnny Manziel deserved it. But, you know, give us the same thing that you give the white player. That's, that's, that's all it is. And, and the writers, the same, the same thing. Matter of fact, when I went to the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, um, a friend of mine who was, who was a writer, after, you know, the, the, the election, I mean, the, the induction, well, not the induction, but, you know, it, it went through the process. I was in Miami. He said, Eric, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. He says, uh, you were going to be a unanimous decision, but it was one guy that would not vote for you. And he was a white guy. I said, I said, I'm, a nice, I'm no problem. He said, and he said he wouldn't vote for you because you held out. And I asked him, I said, what is his, I said, what does that guy do with playing football? It ain't got nothing to do with it. I just can never vote for a guy that held out. I mean, as you tell me, what does that guy do with football? Nothing. It has nothing. I mean, and that's just a, that's just how it is for us. You know, I mean, I've always said this here. I said, name your white quarterback that's ever held out in the NFL, starting quarterback. You can't name one. You cannot find one. But you can find a lot of black quarterbacks and athletes and running backs that has had to hold out. You know, they make us, you know, we're villains. We're the bad guys. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not here saying, oh, man, what was that? No, it's not about that. You know, you ask me a question, and I, I, know, what it, I know what it is. And then once again, I, I, when I say this, Somebody say, oh, you know, they're angry. It's not, it's, I'm not, it's not angry. I'm not angry. I'm just telling the truth. <laughs> and that's, that's what it is. Like my, my, going back to what my dad said, son, the truth isn't popular, but it is the truth. It's never going to change. I mean, what I'm saying, you know, this funny thing is, is that when we talk to black athletes, black and got retired, play, present players, we all say the same thing. Oh, man, if that was a, if that was a wife, if that was a brother, come on, he'd have been cut so fast. Well, if that was a man, come on, we know how that works. That don't, they don't do that for us. We know. I mean, we know it. I mean, a white reporter said this to me about my, it was, it was I was doing an interview with him about the book. And uh, he said, Eric, I want to I tell you something. You probably realize I'm white. I said, I can tell you white. <laughs> he said, he said, NFL is what, 80% black? I said, yep. He said, I'm going to say this. He said, if the NFL was 80% white, you would have a good pension and you'd have good health care. He said, I'm just saying. I said, well, we know that. We say it all the time. But, it's, but it is not. It's 80% black. So they're not going to give us a good pension. They're not going to give us health care, you know, because we're black. Wait, I just want to say, um, researching Bo Jackson, I went through all the old Auburn media guides, you know, one by one by one from the early 80s. I kid you not when I say this. Every white player is described as scrappy, hard-nosed, <laughs> and every African-American player, gifted, swift, athletic, <laughs> like... To a man, it's like putting on glasses and seeing the world and be like, holy shit, this, how did I miss all this? 
Yeah, I mean, hey, man, and or they'll say, man, you, you you got to have a guy like that on your team. You know, <laughs> he you know he's gonna give you he's gonna give you all he got. Right. <laughs> you know, he's gonna give me all he got, but you know what? He ain't worth a damn. <laughs> you know, he ain't got nothing. You know, yeah. yeah. And and that's that's how they describe the white guy, the white player. Which I mean, you sometimes you know it, it is. You got a guy who give you all the guy, but you know, so, you know, hey, man, you know. And, and I keep saying this over and over. I don't like to make it a black-white thing because it's not about that. I mean, it's really not. I mean, some of my best friends are white guys, and I don't see them as white. I see them as my boy Randy, my boy Chris. He ain't white to me. It's just my he like a brother to me. You know, I, I, don't, I don't judge on color. But, you know, it's just facts. I mean, it's facts, and it's different. And like like you said with the Bo Jackson thing, I mean, come on, man. Bo Jackson is, is a, was, is a, was, is, was a great athlete. Athlete. I mean, and you can't take that away from him. I mean, you, you, you just you couldn't. I mean, it's like me at SMU, man, like my senior year. And I tell, I tell, I tell Herschel, I said, I should have won the Heisman my senior year. <laughs> I didn't get pushed for the Heisman my senior year. I mean, you look at my stats. I had 16, I think 1,617 or 18 yards. I had seven yards to carry. I split time. I think I carried the ball 231 times. Herschel carried the ball 150 more times than I did. Beat me by like 100 yards. I had seven yards to carry. You know, 17 touchdowns. If I'd have been at Oklahoma or Texas or something like that, of course I'd have won the Heisman. But, you know, and if, if I'd have been white and running the ball like that, oh, come on. Oh, man, no doubt I'd have won. No doubt I'd have won the Heisman. Do you care? Like now, sitting here, do you care? Nah, I don't care. I don't, I don't care. Because, I mean, I, know, I, I know how it is. I mean, that stuff is, 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 is politics. Nah, I don't care. Because, you know, like, like even when I got into the pros, when I got into playing professional football, you know, I've, I've always said this, and I'll continue to say it. I said, my talent was second to nobody's. Nobody. I mean, I put my talent against anyone that played that position running back because God gave me a talent second to no one. I mean, I was big. I was fast. I could cut. And I was fearless. You know, so, oh, man, I could kill less. When was the first time you realized, because <laughs> all football players come to this realization, I think, at some point, that you were kind of a piece of meat to the NFL machine, to the college machine. If you got hurt, they'd find another 29. Like they'd find another 15, they find another 80. Like when, when do you start to realize that as an athlete? I think I realized it in college. Really, I did because, you know, I saw, you know, how it was. I mean, but I mean, I, I mean don't get me wrong. I still love my university and I was able to do what I did there. But when I got to the pros, I mean, man, I used to love everything about football. I love this. I knew it. I could tell when it was football season, I could smell a smell in the air. I mean, I'm like, damn, it's getting close to football season. I loved it. But then, I think it was after the year rest for 2,000 yards. It's kind of during that season. I was an older guy. I was talking about a player, they, they cut him. I said, man, why they cut him? He said, man, first of all, he black. He black. He making too much money. They got a white boy. going to place him for less. I'm like, but man, I said, but he was good. I said, man, they don't care nothing about that. I said, I mean, and that's when I kind of saw, he said, he told me, he said, Eric, this is an ugly business. You see, you'll see. Because in a sense, I had blinders on. I mean, I was just so excited to be in the NFL and just play. But in a sense, I did have blinders on the, the, of being young and just, you know, not knowing. You know, I, you know, I get what I would say. Well, the best players play when you play in the pros. It don't work like that. I can tell you that right now. I have a cousin that plays for the New York Giants, Ricky Seals. I, tell, I told him that three four years ago. I said, son, I said, Ricky. I said, you think you're getting the pros, the best players play? I said, don't work like that all the time. And the superstars may play, but you got guys who who can outplay some other players, but because of the, the money, you know, or or their dad played with with, with so and so, uh, and I'll take care of it. I'll take care of him. 
you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of, you know, favoritism and he sees it now. I mean, so, you know, you, you see it, you see it as, as you get older in, in, in the pros. You wrote in your, uh, in the book about, um, you got on the cover of Sports Illustrated for the first time ever. You said, I, I assumed I'd share the cover with a bunch of other guys, but no, it was just me. I was running with my high knees, busting through an arm tackle with the California sun, making my goggles mouthpiece and the yellow horn on top of my helmet pop. The text on the cover said, running wild. For any athlete, especially back then, being on the cover of SI was a dream come true. SI breaks my heart these days because nobody cares about magazines anymore. How big of a deal was it back then to be on the cover? Big time, man. I mean, think about that. You got to think that was 1980s. That was Big, big time to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I was excited about it. I mean, because I won't forget, uh, it was my rookie season, and the guy, Pete Ward, he said, hey, Eric, he said, uh, Sports Illustrated, want to talk to you. They're going to possibly do a, a cover piece. I said, like, the cover? They said, yeah, like, the cover. I'm like, oh, man, I was like, wow, okay. I mean, I was really excited. So, for sure, that, 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 that's big. That, that, was, that was huge. I mean, that was bigger than any social media that you have now. Sports Illustrated was the magazine. That was, that was the magazine if you played sports. Yeah. Wait, here's a funny thing. Then you wrote later on before the 91 season, Sports Illustrated did a cover story on me with a picture of me with the caption, one happy camper. I said all the right things in the piece, but I was lying. You you lied to us, Eric. Oh, man, I lied. I lied. I lied. I most definitely because I was acting like I'm mean, not. I, mean, I couldn't stand that place. I, I couldn't stand it in Indianapolis. I didn't like, you know, the situation. I like my car like Ron. Because Ron was still there. But man, that was a, it was a bad situation over there. I mean. You know, the organization was not a good organization. I mean, Ursay was not a good guy. Old man Ursay was not a good guy. I mean, you know, that's just the truth. But um, then the, the guy that wrote the article, you know, he stayed in my house. I mean, he wrote that article, you know, and I was like, I still, I still, Rick Rod, I still want to whoop his ass. I told him, I said, I, whoop. I called him, matter of fact, after he wrote the article. I called him. And to me, he did me an injustice doing the article. I didn't think it was, I think it was a good article. He made up some stuff, like I feed my dogs gunpowder. You know, and all that. I mean, it was a bunch of lies. I told him, man, I said, man, why you? I said, that's a lie, man. I don't feed my dogs on damn gunpowder. You know, and I, because he asked me that, because I think I had, I had guns, I still have guns. You know, like, like I'm basically, I was like a psychopath. <laughs> basically, that's what it made it sound like. And I, t- and I told him, I said, I, I told him, I will never, I said, I will beat your ass if I ever see you again. <laughs> and I wow. haven't seen him since. He lives in LA, so you might be able to meet up with him. I know, I, I heard, I've been, but I wouldn't know if I saw him. But I, I, I told Skip Bayless, I said, Skip, I still want to whoop his ass. If you see a reporter from 1988 who did you wrong, can you let it go or no? Mm, some of it, yeah, some of it. Because, you know, I know how, I know how, well, I know how, how, they, how they did. I don't remember, I don't really know a lot of these guys yeah. that wrote these articles on me. But, um, you know, if I knew a guy that wrote an article, I don't fool with him. I, I won't give him interviews now because I just, I, I haven't forgotten. I mean, I haven't forgotten what they said about me. I went to they called me a malcontent. I was, uh, man, all I just said words. I didn't know the hell. I didn't know the hell a malcontent. Who the hell is a malcontent? You know, <laughs> you know, it was, it was just, it was, it was, it was bad media, and it was, it was misleading media because it made me seem like I was this, this asshole of a guy, you know. And it's always good when people meet you in person. And I came to so many guys I've met, you know, over the years, especially you know, going back. It's Eric, man. Man, you ain't nothing like they made you out to be. Nothing like it. I said, man, I said, you know how it is. He said, man, white and black say the same thing. And I think that's, I think the most hurtful thing was not for me, but for my mother, because she hated the media. She said, I don't like what they write. She said, she said, she said, these are a bunch of damn lies. She said, you're not that, you're not that person. I said, I know, mom. I said, but you know, don't, don't worry about it. You know, that, that it hurt her. And that, for me, that's why, that's why I've never been fond of the media. I mean, you know what? Jim Gray is my guy. 
You know, I, I always like Jim because I told Jim, I said, look, man, what I tell you, if you write it like I said, we'll always be cool. I said, but if you change it, I won't fool with you. And Jim was always, he was if just what I wrote, he it just like I said it. If I said, if I gave him a story and say, don't say anything about this, you know, I'm just telling you. If I tell you, you can say something cool, he always kept his word. See, guys like that, that, that I mean, because like I said, that's that loyalty thing again that comes with me. It's interesting because in a way, you would probably have enjoyed playing in the modern era where athletes don't really care about the media anymore. They just control their own message via social media. Maybe it would have been better actually in the modern era. I said that all the time. I said that the good thing about the guys now is that they have a voice. We had no voice. I mean, the, the media wrote something. People believed it. I mean, they could say that, you know, shit, you was a, a, a like they could have said I ran the Ku Klux Klan and I was black. <laughs> people, really? Wow, really he does? They, they, they would, if they put in the paper, people would have believed it. Yeah, so, and I always say to the guys now, they have social media. You know, they can control the narrative. We, had, we didn't have that at all. So most definitely, I would have, it would have been great for me playing that. Years ago, I wrote a biography of Brett Favre. I interviewed Jerry Glanville because Jerry Glanville was Brett's coach his first year in Atlanta. And when I told the owner of the Atlanta Falcons from back then that I interviewed Glanville, he said, well, you can believe 30% of everything Jerry told you. <laughs> you wrote, because you played for Jerry briefly in Atlanta, you said Jerry Glanville, who later became my head coach, uh, was a fake macho man, a wannabe tough guy who's actually just a little asshole. It seems like nobody says a nice thing about Jerry Glanville in hindsight. What was the beef with Glanville? Because he was a fake. He, he was a fake. Uh, he, he wanted to be an athlete. He wanted to be a, a coach. And he wasn't, he wasn't even a good coach. You know, he was just a, he was like, he was like a little tyrant is what he was. Like, you know, you know, got that, they said he got the short man complex. That's what he was, a guy with the short man complex. You wrote in the book about whether you'd want your kids to play football. And you said, the big question, would I play again, given everything I know now? Yes, if I was in the same predicament of trying to help my mother financially, my mom worked since she was a little girl because that's what you did back in those days. She and my dad brought me up and turned me into something, unlike a lot of the guys I grew up with. Uh, then you said, but what if money wasn't a factor? And I knew what I knew now about all the injuries, including brain injuries. Would I still play? Hell no. Why are you so emphatic? And it's such an emphatic no to I would not play. Because, uh, I mean, I, I see how it beats you up. You know, I see the, the after effects. And I think that I think one of the big things is not even how it beats you up. You know, that, that's just part of it. If you got into it, you know, we didn't know we didn't we didn't know what, what you know what it could happen to you. My mother said, Eric, that football, that, that's gonna cause you problems later. So that's just unnatural to, to run the person that fast and that hard. I think but but the big thing is is how the NFL treats the retired players. To me, that's the biggest thing. Going back to what the guy said. If the league was white, it would be different. How bad our pension is, how we have no health care, you know, just all the things that when I look at, like, uh, talk to players that played basketball or played baseball, man, they laugh at us. I mean, they laugh at our, they laugh at our, our union is a joke. I mean, it really is. They take advantage of the players. I mean, we were just talking about it today, me and some players, how they fight against us. We're trying to get, you're trying to get, say, total and permanent disability. They fight against you. The own the people that's supposed to be helping you, I mean that's just I think that that has a lot to do with it. Is that man they don't they, they don't give a shit about us. So why should we give a shit about them in a sense? I mean when you talk to players that played in the NFL, you know most players feel they feel like jilted, like 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 we get like we getting a raw deal. Like if if, if you played a game a sport that you loved and they took care of you after that sport, I think you'd be hey man, 
it was worth it. I'm glad I did it. You know, they're doing us right in our retirement because the league is doing well, but they're not. That's the bad part. And that's why, for me, I mean, look, like I said, I play again for one reason, my mother. If I get, if it's going to help take care of her, that's a, that's a no-brainer. But if the money was no was no issue and I, and I had something else I could do, man, the hell with that, the hell with that football. It is insane that there are not guaranteed contracts in professional football. The most violent Crazy. Sport. It's crazy. crazy. It doesn't make crazy. any sense. It makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. But, hey, man, that's just how it is. And let me tell you once again, or I'm going to go back to our union. That's our union. That's that's the Mar Smith. They're jokes. I mean, it's just like it's like it's a joke. I mean, matter of fact, I, I did. A, I, I was at the Hall. This is about six years ago. At the Hall of Fame. And, and the girl from the league asked me, said, Eric, well, will you do a favor for me? I said, yeah. She said, I got some, some writers that want to talk to you about it. how do you feel about the NFL? I said, come on, girl. They want to talk to me? She said, yeah, I want you. I said, now, you know me. She said, I know. I said, okay. I said, so they want to meet you in the early in the morning. I said, okay, we're going to play golf. I said, 10 o'clock. I said, so I'm meeting LT and Marcus and Richard Dent. We're all playing golf. I said, tell them I'll meet them out there after we have breakfast. I said, okay. So I, I met the, it was a girl and a guy. And they said, I said, so what's your question? She said, we want to ask you, how do you feel about the National Football League as a whole? You know, how they, you know, done for the players. I said, well, I said, you asked me that question. I said, well, I'm going to say this much here. I said, I'm going to give you two answers. At the league, I love the players, man. I said, I'm a former player. Players, you know, we're like brothers. It don't make a difference what color you are. We, we, that, that's, we're like brothers. I said, just like the military. I said, but the league itself, I said, I hate them motherfuckers. I said, I hate the way they treat you. I said, what they treat the players. I said, they treat you like garbage. They make you feel like garbage. I said, you know, these, I said, you got these, these, these lackeys who they work for the league and they're like, I work for the NFL. I'm like, bitch, you a flunky. You know, you don't even know how to put a uniform on. Right. I mean, just like I think about Goodell making 63 million a year. And look, my thing, I don't care. That's great. But take care of the players. Take care of us. And so after the, after the interview, as a matter of fact, <laughs> Lawrence Taylor was walking by. I said, I said, ask him the same question. I said, Mr. Taylor, can I ask you a question? You know, Lawrence is always pissed. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah what? <laughs> he said, can, can I ask you, how do you feel about the NFL? He said, I hate them mother. I hate them bastards. Then what the, I, and he, he went on. I said, see? Then Richard Dent came by. He said, I said, ask him the same thing. So, Mr. Dent, how, how do you feel about the NFL? He said, I hate them motherfuckers. I mean, every player said the same thing. It'd be black, white. It didn't make a difference. It's just sad that you play the sport that you love so much and then they make you hate it at the end. That's, that's the saddening part to me about professional football, how they treat you. They treat you like, like, a, like a dog, like an animal. Wait, I want to ask you a follow-up on this. Yeah. Doesn't it bother you a little bit that the general fan doesn't really give a shit? Yep, it does. It does bother me. But, you know, I get it. I mean, you know, hey, that's just that's, that's such as life. I mean... It is what it is. I mean, all they care about is they all they care about is the guys running each other and making those those bets, you know, and having their fantasy football teams. Or, but if they really sit back and look, you know, if they, you know when they really would care when they have a son that plays. Of course, that's when they care when your son plays and and your son is beat up and your son has CTE or your son has Alzheimer's. Then you care. Other than that, you don't really give a damn. I get it. It's crazy that you can love Earl Campbell, wait online for an autograph, see him in a wheelchair. And feel nothing. No, I don't care about that signature. You know, I love it. Where you should run the football, I love it. You know, hey man, like I say, it is. It just is what it is.
Before we continue with Two Writers Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman. I'm here with my daughter, Casey, who's been watching a documentary on Warren Jeffs and now wants to start a cult. I've spoken with God Almighty. And in 23 days, 6 hours and 14 minutes, and 2 seconds to be exact, the world will be destroyed by a giant meatball. Follow me to Toledo if you want to live. Uh, can, can you add one final touch, please? Oh, right. And before you follow me to go to Toledo, go to royalretros.com and spend all your money on the best throwback hats, shirts, and jerseys. Then, and only then, will you be safe from the meatballs in Toledo. Wow, you're just like Warren Jeffs. Thanks. My 36 wives would agree. Wait, I want to ask you a last question. Um, I, I appreciate your time. And I do want to say again, the book is freaking. Wait, they, Eric, I'm being serious. It's a fucking great book, man, because you freaking actually have something to say. And it's important. So, like, I don't even think you should be saying, like, it's not a race book. Because, like, in a lot of ways it is, but it's an important one. Like, you're saying things that people don't say that need to be said. I'm, I'm saying thank you. I'm saying, I'm saying stuff that people are uncomfortable talking about. 100%. It makes them uncomfortable. To me, it don't make me uncomfortable. Because, look, man, my, my, my wife is white. So I'm not, it's not, I'm not racist. My right. kids are half white. You know, my, my, my oldest daughter, her mom's Mexican. I mean, like I said, and I, when I say I care nothing about race, I don't care about, I, I judge, I judge you on, on the, the your character. That's, I think that's how every man should be judged. Not the color of his skin, but his character. Right. So yes, I guess it is, it is about race, but it's, I'm not making it about race. I'm just telling, I'm just telling the stories and the things that I, that, that happened to me. Um, it was a guy, what's his name? Rocket Ismail. Rocket Ismail said to me, uh, when he saw, he said, I did a 30 for 30. I'm a 30 for 30. He said, Eric, man, um, no, it was 30 for 30 when it didn't He said, man, I just want to say, man, thank you, Eric. I said, I don't think, I don't think players realize the sacrifices that you made. I said, man, brother, I said, thanks. I said, I mean, I wouldn't realize. He said, I just want to say thank you for, for what you did, the sacrifice you made for, for a lot of us that don't realize. I said, thanks, man, because like, I, I won't forget when I held out with the Rams and I told some of the guys, I said, man, if they keep me underpaid, they keep everybody underpaid. I mean, that's, that's, that's how it works. And, and I mean, and, he, and, and guys said, lady, so that's what they would say. Hey, if Eric make it, it's how you going to make more than Eric? <laughs> right. You know, and, that, and that's just the fact. In hindsight, you took more undeserved bullets than any player of your era. I think that argument can be made. I, I think so. I mean, I didn't think about it then, but I think so because, you know, being, like I said, they made me out to be a bad guy. Like I was just this guy all about the money, 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 money. No, I just wanted to be paid right. That's all it was. I mean, I wasn't trying to, Look, I just want, like I said, I just want to, can I make a million dollars? Hell, way making a million dollars. You know, I mean, I'm that kind of player, you know, but I'm making two and $300,000. I mean, that was, and you know, and, and you get, the, you, you get the letters in the mail. I won't forget some of the letters I got, you know, all oh, you, 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 you monkeys, y'all are just play for free and entertain us and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Hey, you know, but nobody sees that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, I want to ask you a question that you probably haven't been asked that much, maybe ever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I have a friend who's who covers tennis and he's at Wimbledon right now. Mm-hmm. And when you cover Wimbledon, a lot of the former players are around and, you know, it's always like, Hey, Matt's Vlander, tell me a story about, do you remember that match against so-and-so or Hey, Yvonne Lendl, do you remember this? And I always wonder, like being a former athlete, you've been retired for almost 30 years now, but to be eternally remembered as number 29 with the goggles, with the Jericho running the ball against whoever in the minds of people, you're always 28 years old and you're always that guy. And Eric, tell me that story about that game against the jets. Tell me that story about that time. Is it more wonderful or in a way torturous? Uh, No, I mean, for me, it's cool because a lot of it brings back the memories. Like you're talking about, you talk about the jets game. The thing I remember most about 
football game was not the 199 yards I had or whatever I had or think something like that. It was the the one. It was one play that just stuck out in that game. It was a swing pattern that I had uh, that Vince Ferragamo. Whenever we, we broke the huddle, you know, the lights had popped on in Shea Stadium, and you know, the, the like the fog around the top of the stadium. And it was because it was a a late game, and uh, we were like in the third quarter. And then and he said, Eric, if I don't see anything downfield, I'm coming to you." I said, "Okay," and I'll never forget on that swing pattern when I that's all I saw when the, when the when the rush when they said "hut hut" and the rush started. I could see Vince Ferragamo's head going left to right. I just saw the horns turning left, and it just looked so cool. Then I saw his arm come over the top, and I'll never forget. I'm like, damn, I'm in the NFL. It just hit me just like that. Right. I caught the pass. I caught the pass, and I picked up like 20 yards. And I never, I don't know why, I've never forgotten that play. But, yeah, I mean, it, it does, like, I think people, like, people think, man, does it make you sad that you can't do that anymore? Absolutely not. Not, not, not even a little bit. I mean, I, I thank God I had a chance to play. I love watching my son. He's he's ten years old now, but I can watch him play flag football and how fast he is. And man, I'm gonna say this, and I'll say this. You hear me say it? If my son plays sports, if he plays it, he's gonna be better than his dad. I'm just telling you, he's gonna be better yeah. than me. I can I, I see it already. I mean, the, the stuff he does, he's he's oh, he's so damn fast, man. I just gotta see so fast, and I'm not just saying it. I mean, he is fast. I mean. You can ask him to Southern California. I think he got, he's got the fastest hundred, the fastest 200 in Southern California at age 10. He's just, and, and a good kid, you know, kind of just like me. Like I said, son, I said, I said, like I said, good game or good track meet. He said, oh, thanks, dad. And that's it. You know, like no big deal. Go back to playing on his iPad, you know. And I, lo- I love that. I love that about him. So, you know, for me, maybe, and I told my wife this, I said, you know, I said, I would really love people to see possibly what could have been if I would have stayed with the Rams my whole career, and where that's not how it's supposed to happen, I said they would have saw something they'd never seen. I said I'd have set records that would never been touched. I said maybe that's what my son would. If he plays football, if he plays much track or baseball, he'll they'll see something like wow, we man. I see what his dad was, but wow, look at him. I want my son to be better than me. I mean, and I'm not saying he's gonna play, but I, I think he, when he if he does, he'll be better than me. All right, let me ask you this: Would you rather your son? You get two choices here. Your son goes to Harvard and runs track or your son goes to USC or UCLA and plays football? Well, uh, that's a tough one, but I would say this much here. I think for him, because he's smart too, I'd rather go to Harvard and run track and have that alumni base with with Harvard. I always be a Harvard grad. I mean, I'd rather that part than than the football, to be honest. But if if the football comes, cool, no problem. I mean, I mean, I let, I let them make that choice. I'm not one of those dads that, you know, some of them dads that they push their kids because, because you know, they didn't get a chance to do it. I'm not that dad. I mean, that's not me. I just want to, I, like I always tell people, I just want to have fun. I mean, he's, he's 10. I want, I want to enjoy. I want to enjoy being a kid. Right. But let me ask you a final, final thing. I've never talked to an athlete who did a book. And, you know, the process is, I assume, like, you have your, your co-author and he sort of writes. You tell him stories. He writes. Like, did you enjoy the process of it all? Yeah, I did. It was tough. It was it was long. It was grueling. Sometimes we talked. Sometimes I never I did, I never even met Greg. We just talked on the phone, and uh, I enjoyed talking to him. I mean, he got it. And I when he when the fever the first draft that he wrote because I had a couple of other writers that wrote some drafts, and I'm like, man, this don't sound like me. This don't sound nothing like me. Right. When I read Greg's, I'm like, oh, I'm like, this is the guy. I mean, it sounds just like me. Talking to him and bringing up some of the stories. Oh man, most definitely. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, 
some of them were very painful too. I mean, they really were. They brought back memories. I mean, like I talk about my dad passing. That was painful. I mean, it really was. I still miss my dad. I miss my mom, you know, to this day. Um, thing that happened in Indianapolis, you know, with them putting a the poster up. That was very hurtful. I mean, I've never forgotten that because as a matter of fact, uh, my friend that I girl used to date, we still best friends. I just talked to her a minute ago. And uh, she said, Eric, she said, I would never forget that shit. She said, that was so hurtful to me that I started crying, you know? And I, she said, I just wonder how you felt. You know, you, you guys, she said, you got to play in front of these people. They booing you and they put a cat and they put that out. She said, I don't see how you did it. I will also say Indianapolis, one of the most boring big cities in America. <laughs> it's so boring. You don't want to live there. Let's put it like that. No. You Wait, oh, so you oh. never met Greg Hanlon in your whole time working. Have you met him yet? Uh-uh. I've, I've never met Greg. I just talked to him on the phone. <laughs> That's you crazy. Know, and Greg is such a great guy talking to him. He's such a good guy. You know, uh-uh. we got we did nothing, nothing but on the phone. Wow. Well, listen, the book's great. Seriously, it's it's great. And it actually, again, it actually says something. It, there's a message behind it. It's not just stories. There's a there's a there's an emphasis on righteousness. So, um, Eric, man, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I, I really do appreciate it. No problem, man. Thank, thank you. And thank you for the confidence of my book. I really appreciate it. I want to thank today's guest, Eric Dickerson, for joining me on Two Riders Singing Yang. You can find Eric on Twitter at Eric Dickerson and buy Watch My Smoke wherever books are sold. If you have a chance and enjoy Two Riders Singing Yang, please go to the vehicle of your choice and leave a nice review. I make no money doing this, and I rely on word of mouth. Music is by the outstanding MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep riding. <laughs>